Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. My name is Jonathan Snowbell, and we are learning the sixth portion of Parshat Naso today. Today we'll be covering the final leg of Parshat Naso, from Birkat Kohanim through the Korbanot Nisiim, essentially over 90 psukim verses, but we need to do this because uh, much of the parasha, the end of the parasha, is very repetitive. So we will begin in the end of chapter 6, verse 22, with Birkat Kohanim, the priestly blessings. Vaydaber Adonai el Moshe lemor, daber el Aharon vel banav lemor, ko tevarechu et b'nei Yisrael, amor lahem, yevarechecha Adonai v'yishmerecha, yair Adonai panav elecha v'yechunneka, yisa Adonai panav elecha v'yasem lecha shalom, v'samu et shemi al b'nei Yisrael, v'ani avarechem. Then Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel, you shall say to them, May Hashem bless you and keep you. May Hashem make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Hashem lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. The Ramban here references his comment in Parshat Shmini in, in Vayikra that perhaps this bracha is alluded to in the description of that day in Sefer Vayikra, the eighth day, when we are told that Aaron blessed the nation. These are the blessings that are said by the Kohanim daily in Eretz Yisrael and in many Sephardi communities abroad and said on holidays by Ashkenazi communities abroad as well. So something very familiar and daily about them, as opposed to the previous sections we've learned in Sefer B'midbar. Birkat Kohanim raises the question of, who is blessing? Who is giving the blessing? On the one hand, God commands the Kohanim to bless. Kotevarchu, thus you shall bless. On the other hand, the section concludes with the words, Va'aniyavarachem, I, God, will bless them. Rashi makes the following comments. Va'aniyavarachem, I will bless them, I will bless Yisrael, and I will agree with the Kohanim. Davar Acher, an additional explanation, Vani Avarchem la Kohanim, and I will bless the Kohanim. In both of Rashi's explanations, it is the Kohanim who are blessing the people. Why then is God blessing too? In one explanation, God is agreeing with the Kohanim, and in the other, God is blessing the Kohanim. In contrast, Rashi's grandson, the Rashbam, states as follows. Do not bless them from your own words of your mouth, but rather pray to me that I will bless them. The Kohanim are commanded to pray to God that God will bless the people. As it says, God will bless you. And I will hear your voice, and I will bless the Jewish people. And then he quotes the final pasuk, I will bless them, in my name and not, not in their name, I will bless Israel. It appears that the Rashbam is stating and restating that all of the blessings come from God, and not from the Kohanim, who he defines as merely praying to God. Rashbam apparently wanted to make a clear statement about the source of all brachot being from God and not human uh, brachot.
Whether we accept Rashi or Rashbam, it is important to note on a physical level that even if the children stand by their fathers for Birkat Kohanim, the fathers are certainly not the ones blessing their sons in this instance, but the Kohanim, according to Rashi, or God, according to Rashbam, are the ones uh, blessing the people. Placing one's face to their father and turning one's back to the Kohanim is not only against the halakha that demands that the people face the Kohanim, even if not looking directly at them, but sends the wrong message about who is giving the blessing. And we saw how crucial it was for the Rashbam to stress this point, but even according to Rashi, the Kohanim are giving the blessing, not the fathers under their, uh, who are holding their sons under their talit. Now let's look at the actual words of the bracha. Yevarechecha. The Ibn Ezra comments, Tosefet chayim ve'osher, an additional life and wealth. Bracha, the word bracha, denotes making something good grow. In this vein, Rashi states that your assets shall be blessed, i.e. they will grow. Vishmerecha. Both Rashi and Ibn Ezra state in a similar vein that if one has something good, life, happiness, or assets, they must be protected from outsiders who attempt to take them from you, or they are worthless. Ya'er Hashem panav elecha. The Ibn Ezra explains that when you ask for something, God will give it to you. This, of course, is a bracha, not a guarantee. Yisa Hashem panav elecha. This, according to many commentaries, refers to God's actual presence as opposed to hester panim, which we read about in Sefer Tvarim, God hiding his presence, God will be present. A blessing that implies a constant relationship with God. V'yasem l'cha shalom, the Ibn Ezra points that this refers to having no threats to our person, to our persons, not to our assets now, but our individual persons, rocks, animals, or enemies. Various commentaries offer different suggestions than the Ibn Ezra, but the common thread is a variety of different blessings needed to give us a settled and complete life. The order of the blessings in these commentaries seems somewhat random. However, Birkat Kanim appears to be a very organized and progressive bracha. Yevarechecha Hashem v'yishmerecha, three words. Yayar Hashem panavelecha v'yichuneka, five words. Yisa Hashem panavelecha v'yasem lecha shalom, seven words. The commentators don't seem to ad address this progression. The Sforno suggests the following in terms of a progression. The first line refers to Osher and Nechassim, physical wealth, as Rashi and Ibn Ezra had suggested. She'im ein kemach ein Torah. If there is no flower, if there is no wealth, ein Torah, one cannot learn Torah. Bishmerecha from thieves, like Rashi and Ibn Ezra. The second line, the Sforno comments, Yigale einecha be'or panecha lehabit niflaot mitorato umimaasav achar shetasig tzrachecha bebirkato. After you have achieved your physical needs in the first line, then you can reach success in spirituality by learning from God through His Torah and His deeds. Finally, the third line, according to the Sforno, refers to chaye olam, eternal life, and the ultimate peace with no punishment, referring to a world after death. One could argue about the specific details of the Sforno's explanation, specifically whether the Torah addresses the afterlife explicitly as he is suggesting, but he gives order, structure, and progression to the brachot, which are lacking from the other classic commentaries. Now we move on to the seventh chapter. The seventh chapter deals with the Nisim, the leaders, and their offerings. 
verse 1. Now on the day that Moshe had finished setting up the Mishkan, he anointed it and consecrated it with all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils. He anointed them and consecrated them also. What is this day that Moshe completed setting up the Mishkan? The general consensus of the classic commentators based on Chazal is that this verse takes us back chronologically to the establishing of the Mishkan. Whether this refers to the first of the month, the first of the first month, Nisan, as the verse at the end of Shemot says, Mishkan, on the first month, on the second year, on the first day, the Mishkan was established, or to the eighth day of Nisan, as some of the commentaries believe that the seven days of the Miluim began on the first day of Nisan, and the eighth day was the culmination of establishing the Mishkan. Just as a reminder, Bemidbar began on the first day of the second month. And now, based on this explanation, the story turns back the clock to the first month. At the time of the establishment of the Mishkan in the first month was the same time the Nisi'im that we're going to read about in this chapter gave their offerings. However, Rav Mordechai Sabato points to some major flaws in this position that stem from the verses in chapter 7 that bring into question this step backwards in time. Let's continue reading the verses and we will point them out as we go along. Verse 2. Vayakrivu Nisie Israel Rashe Bet Avotam, Hem Nisie Hamatot, Hem Haomedim Al Hapekudim. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their fathers' households, made an offering. They were the leaders of the tribes, they were the ones who were over the census of the men. The Nisim are referred to as the ones in charge of the census. What census? In the first month, there was no census and no commandment for a census. This is something that we only learn about in the second month. How could the Torah in the first month reference something that happened only in the second month? Verse 3. Then Hashem spoke, when they brought their offering before Hashem, six covered carts or carriages and twelve oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders and an ox for each one. Then they presented them before the Mishkan. The Nisim, as we said, offered six carriages and twelve oxen. For what purpose? Now we'll read verses four to nine. Vayomer Adonai el Moshe lemor kach meitam vehayu laavod et avodat ohel moed venatata otam el halvim ish kefi avodato. Then. Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, accept these things from them that they may be used in the service of the tent of the meeting and you shall give them to the Leviim, to each man according to his service. So Moshe took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Leviim. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon according to their service. And four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Mirari, 
according to their service, under the direction of Itamar, the son of Aharon the Kohen. But he did not give any to the sons of Kehat, because theirs was the service of the holy vessels, which they carried on the shoulder. The division of the carriages and the oxen refers to the division of the labor of the Levim described in chapter 4. Chapter 4 is a continuation of the census of the, at the beginning of the book in the second month. The census of the individual, the tribes, and then the census of the Levim. Merari carries the heaviest load of the wooden beams, thus receives four carts and eight oxen. Gershon carries the various layers of the covers of the Mishkan, thus received two carts and four oxen. Kahat, who carried the holy vessels, were not allowed to use the carts at all, and were commanded to carry the vessels on their shoulders. How could the carriages and oxen be handed out in the first month when the division of labor was not determined until the second month? In fact, the Torah reference is kafi avodatam, like their labor that we already know about. Verse 10. The leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. Then Hashem said to Moshe, let them present their offering one liter each day for the dedication of the altar. We now read that besides the gifts of the carts and oxen, the Nisi'im offered actual offerings to the Mishkan as well. As we progress through this section, we will see that the Nisi'im, who each bring their offering one per day, offer in the order that they travel when the camp travels that is described in the second chapter of Bemidbar. Once again, the seventh chapter is referencing information that we know from the second chapter, which is the second month. And yet we were claiming that the seventh chapter takes place in the first month. In summary, this chapter appears to be dated to the month of Nisan, the first month, when the Mishkan was established. But it makes too many references to events that happen subsequently with regard to the census that takes place in the second month. Rav Sabato, based on the Abarbanel, suggests a different explanation to the words Biyom Kalot Lakimet Mishkan, that is more fitting to Sefer Bemidbar. There is the day of the completion and, uh, of the structure of the actual Mishkan that takes place in the first month on the first day or eighth day. This is the limited structure of the Mishkan, which includes the Mishkan, its vessels, and the courtyard. However, the Mishkan in the broader sense of the term is a much more complex structure that includes the entire camp of Bnei Israel and the Leviim camped around the Mishkan. The Mishkan does not really stand on its own, but as the center of a camp. The Mishkan is only complete when Bnei Israel and the Leviim are camped around it after a detailed census in a specific order, the impure are sent out of the camp, as we read in the fifth chapter. The laws governing, governing life in this sanctified camp, such as Sota and Nazir, are established. When all of this is completed, only then is the establishment of the Mishkan completed. Therefore, the date of this chapter, 
and this verse is in the second month, and it does appear in chronolo chronological order, as opposed to the classic commentaries based on Chazal. Perhaps this can be proved in the specific words of the verses themselves. As previously mentioned, at the end of Shemot, the Torah says, the Mishkan was established. And in our verse, the day that Moshe completed, finished setting up the Mishkan. There is the initial establishing of the Mishkan on the first day of Nisan. And there is the completion of the establishing of the Mishkan sometime in the second month, month of Yar, after the camp is completely set up. How fitting then that the ones who bring and initiate the first offerings to the Mishkan after the completion of the Mishkan are the Nisim, the leaders of the tribes who are representatives of the camp, as opposed to the seven days of Miluim and the eighth day, which focused on the Mishkan in a more limited and narrow sense, and in that context, the focus was on the Kohanim. One more comment about these verses. The Nisi'im bring two items, the carriages and oxen, as one item, and their individual offerings, which we will read about shortly. The carriages and oxen, the Torah says, are brought lifnei ha-mishkan, before the Mishkan, in verse 3. They are gifts that will be helpful in the managing of the Mishkan. The offerings are offered lifnei hamizbech before the altar in verse 10, as the chanukat hamizbech, the dedication of the altar. These are actual offerings and not gifts. Thus, the nisiim not only are offering gifts to help the functioning of the Mishkan, but they are also offering offerings to the altar, to the mizbech. We now begin reading the offerings of the Nesim. Verse 12. Now the one who presented his offering on the first day was Nachshon, the son of Aminadav, of the tribe of Yehuda. And his offering was one silver plate, whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. One gold pan of 10 shekels, full of incest, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering. One male goat for a sin or chatat offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, shlamim offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one-year-old. This was the offering of Nachshon, the son of Aminadav. This identical offering is repeated by each Nasi 12 times over 12 days. These offerings include items that are unusual as offerings, including a silver plate and a silver bowl, but filled with fine flour, a mincha offering. So 
the mincha offering, the grain offering, is familiar, offering silver is less familiar. One gold pan filled with ketoret, the incest. Rashi comments that this is unique on two, on two levels. Ketoret is never offered by an individual, and never on the external altar, rather on the golden internal altar, also called the altar of ketoret. Though it is unclear to me how Rashi knows the second point, that it was offered on the external altar. The subsequent offerings are plausible for an individual to offer. Burnt offerings, shlamim offerings. But one last offering is a male goat as a chatat offering. Once again, Rashi offers explanation for what sin this is brought, but a chatat is not offered as a volunteer offering by individuals. It is an offering that must be obligated to be, to be brought, either by an individual because of specific circumstances that obligate a chatat offering, or by the nation on fixed days of the year, holidays in Rosh Chodesh. The unusual nature of the Nesim's offerings leads Rashi to say, Hora'atcha, it was commanded on a one-time in history basis. That, of course, begs the question, why? It appears that the Torah does not view the offerings of the Nesim as offerings of individuals, but rather it's pulling us towards a more public offering where these unusual offerings are more understandable. The next major question is why does the Torah have to be so repetitive and restate the same offering 12 times in detail, word for word? We are familiar with this when we read Parshat Naso, as we are this week, and of course we read these, these offerings of the Nisim on each day of Chanukah until we reach the eighth day of Chanukah when we run out of days to read the Nesim and we read the last five Nesim on the final day. The Ramban gives two opposite answers to this question. The first is that since all the Nesim brought the same offering simultaneously as they agreed upon the details of the offerings, but practically speaking, they had to be brought separately and individually. To solve this problem, they agreed on the order of traveling but in order to show their quality before God, the Torah mentions each one individually and not a verse stating, so too brought the other 11 Nisim, which would give a clear preferential treatment to Nachshon ben Aminadav, the first Nasi to offer. In fact, Chizkuni points out that the Torah uses the word Nasi, referring to all of the tribal leaders in this section in chapter 7, except for Nachshon ben Aminadav, in order to balance the fact that Nachshon was offered, uh, was able to offer first, and therefore his status as, as an Asi is omitted. The second explanation the Ramban offers, echoed by the Svorno, is not one of equality and similarity, but of differences. It is true that each Nasi brought an identical offering, but each had a different intention with regard to the amounts, and therefore the Torah had to mention each one individually to show the uniqueness of each offering of the Nesim. As time is lacking, we will not actually read each of the 12 korbanot of the Nesim, but we will skip to the end of the parasha in verse 84. Zot Chanukah tamizbeach beyom himashachoto me'et Nesiei Yisrael. Ka'arot kesef shetem Yisrael. Mizrukei chesef shenem asar kapot zahav shetem Yisrael. This was the dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel when it was anointed. Twelve silver dishes, twelve silver bowls, twelve gold pans. The Torah is giving a summation, adding all the totals of all the korbanot.
שלושים ומאה הקערה האחת כסף ושבעים המזרק האחד, כל כסף הכלים אלפיים וארבע מאות בשקל הקודש. Each silver dish weighing 130 shekels and each bowl 70, all the silver of the utensils was 2,400 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Kapot zahav shtem esrei meleot ketoret, asara asara hakaf b'shekel hakodesh, kol zahav hakapot esrim umea. The 12 gold pans full of incense weighing 10 shekels apiece according to the shekel of the sanctuary, all the gold of the pans 120 shekels. כל הבקר לעולה שנים עשר פרים, אלים שנים עשר, כבשים בני שנה שנים עשר ומנחתם, וסעירי עזים שנים עשר לחטאת. All the oxen for the burnt offering, 12 bulls, all the rams, 12, the male lambs, one year old with their grain offerings, 12, and the male goats for a sin offering, 12. וכל בקר זבח השלמים, 24 פרים, אלים 60, עתודים 60, כבשים בני שנה 60, זאת חנוכת המזבח אחרי הימשך אותו. And all the oxen for the sacrifice of peace offerings, שלמים, 24 bulls, all the rams, 60, the male goats, 60, the male lambs, one year old, 60, this was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. ובבוא משה אל אוהל מועד לדבר איתו, וישמע את הכה מדבר אליו מעל הכפורת אשר על ארון העדות מבין שני הקרובים וידבר אליו. Now when Moshe went into the tent of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the כפורת that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two קרובים, so he spoke to him. Now only when the מישכן is complete and the camp is around the Mishkan, now can, Moshe, can, can Hashem speak to Moshe from the Mishkan. The Mishkan is in its complete form now. The Nesim have offered their Korbanot, and now we are truly ready for God to speak to Moshe. One final grammatical point, the word Vayishma Tako Midaber Eilav, Midaber with a chirik under the mem is not midaber to speak to a person with a shva under the mem, but rather midaber, the, the commentaries explain that it means to speak between him and himself, as if God is speaking to himself and Moshe is allowed to listen. And with that we conclude Parashat Naso, and next week we will begin Parashat Baalotcha Be'ezrat Hashem.